one of the first things I would say is just like, we all use these services. Like these are all services that we use. These are all services that we need. And so we all have our part in funding those services. to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. We know that a lot of the wealthiest Americans don't pay their fair share of taxes, but what we don't really focus on is how that affects us on the local level. And today's conversation, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're joined today by Kyra Roby. She's currently serving as a policy analyst for One Voice in our home state of Mississippi. They actually put together a report that really works to paint this picture using local statistics and state statistics to give us an overview of what this looks like. But before we dive off into the report, let's give some background background information. Kyra. Uh, Kyra, she's also a native of Mississippi. She holds a law degree from the University of Mississippi School of Law. She's worked for the American Civil Liberties Union in Jackson, Mississippi, and the Southern Poverty Law Center in New Orleans, Louisiana, performing work that's going to be around constitutional law, poverty, immigration, education, and prison reform. Kyra served two years as an Equal Justice Works AmeriCorps legal fellow, working to remove barriers to employment for people who were arrested and convicted. Uh, they worked a lot with expungements and things of that nature. So, uh, Kyra, it's awesome to have you on the show, especially with the background that you have. We've done a lot with prison reform talking about that. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. So to kind of start us off, Kyra, with our first segment, we kind of wanted to really dive off into the report and talk a little bit about that. But I wanted to give a little bit of context um, to the report, just because a lot of people, when they hear taxation, uh, it's not one of the uh, biggest areas that we focus on as far as reform. Uh, We've talked about a lot of reforms this season, like, you know, police reform, uh, prison reform, you know, drug reform and things like that. But why should you know our listeners you know consider taxation reform on the equal stage as all those other things? So let's, to give a little bit of background about how it kind of got into this work or or how this part of the work has been highlighted is that um, over the years there have been increasing calls in um, particular states throughout the, the nation. You guys can probably guess which ones those are to actually eliminate individual income taxes in states. And so um, in Mississippi, our governor um, is for um, eliminating the state individual income tax. And so me being um, in this world of policy and the organization that I work for, One Voice, having all these arms and different policy issues, once we looked at it um, and saw um, just from common sense kind of thing, if if we eliminate one third of the state's income, which um, individual income taxes bring in about $2 billion for the state of Mississippi, if we just eliminate that money, you know, our first thought is like, how do you pay for education? Like, how do you pay for criminal justice reform? How do you pay for Medicaid expansion or or um, how do you build up rural health plans throughout the state? So all of these other policy issues that our organization and others were working on, we automatically saw that that would be a problem just because, of course, Mississippi is already a state that struggles with resources. Uh, nearly 20 percent of the state's population is in poverty or experiencing poverty right now. And so if we eliminate that much money from the state um, through taxes, then we... Um, saw that as being a big problem in the state. And so uh, that's how um, tax reform became such a big, big deal. And, I, and I've been saying that it is kind of like a, a, a civil rights issue when we talk about economic justice and how tax policies affect different people at different income levels and across racial backgrounds and gender. Um, we see that uh, tax policy in itself is something that all of us should be concerned about. Exactly. And I think, you know, like you know, most people don't pay attention to uh, the tax system is pretty dry. It's not the sexiest topic to talk about, you know, over dinner or something like that. But it does matter because, like you say, it impacts other programs, schooling, education, healthcare. All those things are impacted by the taxes that we all pay. And so uh, but if you ask most people who they thought paid the most in taxes, they would everybody would probably say high income earners, corporations, businesses, but in Mississippi, the opposite is kind of true. The people on the bottom are actually paying more in taxes 
uh, than those on the top. And so just to kind of start off broadly, you know, just explain to our listeners this report uh, by One Voice talking about who pays taxes in Mississippi. Just kind of talk about what that report actually shows about who is paying taxes in Mississippi. It's true, as you were saying, tax policy is not the sexiest policy. Um, I kind of start off by just saying, you know, um, not everyone. I mean, when we hear about taxes, it's not something that everybody really enjoys. But I say that the primary purpose of the, the tax code is to raise revenue. And so, again, the state needs revenue to run. It needs revenue to fund its services and programs. And what we are looking at in particular is that how the state raises revenue plays a particularly important part in terms of reducing poverty and reducing disparities across the state. So this particular report, Who Pays, talks mainly about income and race disparities. I like to just kind of preface it by saying that we know that once we start talking about income disparities, we know that there are some gender inequities in it as well, but the report um, does not touch on that. So when you talk about who pays the most in taxes, just broadly, um, Mississippi has a regressive tax system. This is not unlike other um, states. And so basically that means that our um, state's tax system basically takes more from the bottom 80% of income earners than the state's top 20% of income earners. And how that breaks down in Mississippi is that um, if you fall into the middle 20% of income earners in the state, which basically means your average about $40,000, $43,600 a year, on average, you pay the most in taxes than any other income group in the state. The second highest um, income group, well, the second highest group that pays the most in taxes as a share of their income is actually the state's lowest 20% of income earners, which represents individuals who earn about $16,100 per year. And so those are the people who pay the most in taxes. And we break this down by various income groups. But again, basically, uh, the state's bottom 80% of income earners, that means someone making on average $77,500 a year um, and below pays more in average, uh, pays more um, in taxes as a percentage of their income than the state's top 20% of income earners. And you know, that's a really... I was going to just add to that. What that means is that wealthier wealthier taxpayers on average pay a lower tax rate than lower income individuals, and they also contribute a smaller share of state and local taxes than their share of income. And so basically it means that not everyone is paying their fair share. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's what, that, that, that's the conversation we need to really be having around, you know, the issue of fairness. And, and I always like to, you know, you know, when people hear the Black agenda, I know it's about, you know, Black-centric and minority issues, but I always like to broaden the lens because, you know, the majority of the United States is is white. Majority of Mississippi is white. And when you look at these statistics in your report, you can even see that that bottom 80 percent is made up of a lot of whites and blacks and Hispanic. I think I think the report said about 42 uh, percent of whites kind of fall in that low category. Um, and when we're talking about trying to champion this issue, you know, how do we, you know, broaden the conversation to kind of, you know, include, you know, more people to kind of, you know, help people to see that it's not a black issue or a Hispanic or Latino issue, but it's every, it's really, you know, the, the rich versus the poor and not necessarily so focused on that. Yeah, Mississippi, I had this conversation with um, a group not this week when we talked about kind of one of the prevailing issues across the state. And again, we talked about education and healthcare, criminal justice and all those kind of things. And my argument was that poverty really is a prevailing issue in the state. And so, um, you know, more than any other state, we have to look at this idea of poverty um, in terms of how we solve a lot of the public policy issues that we talked about, and taxes is no different. So just like you said, um, although um, the majority of our highest income earners is not a very diverse group um, by race or gender, but that bottom 80% that we're talking about, it is as diverse you know, as you can kind of get in Mississippi. And so 42% of low-income families in Mississippi are white. And so, again, these are defined as income earners or earners, uh, people who earn less than $16,100 on average a year. Um, what we try to explain is that the, the disparity is part of it. And so although um, white families make up that percentage of income earners in the state, we're talking about that lower income earner, 
when you talk about relative to their share of actual, um, relative to the share of people in the actual population, historic injustices have caused black and brown people, women, to um, have a disproportionate share of our populations in that bottom percent. And so that's part, the other part of it. One is that that bottom per, uh, percentage of families is more diverse, of course, than the top 20 percent. But there's a disproportionate share of Black and Hispanic families that fall um, into that bottom 80 percent. And so that's something that we have a more difficult time trying to explain uh, how that happens and why that is. And again, that comes back to like income disparities and laws and policies that, you know, have long-term racist groups. And so it's, it's, it's both explaining that there are white people that fall into that category, but the, the disproportionate share of black and brown people that fall in that category is something that we should care about and that's something that should alarm us as it does in other areas of policy like education and criminal justice and healthcare. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the case, you know, for focusing on tax reform and making it part of the other things that we talk about, education, criminal justice reform, Taxation reform should be right there, you know, on that list. And and you mentioned it too, racist policies, you know, that, that were enacted years ago, decades ago, that are still having their intended effect of dividing Mississippi and, and making sure that black and brown people are overrepresented in the bottom. And so we're going to talk about that in our next segment about how some of these policies came into place and what they're doing and how they've kind of gotten us here. So we're going to take a, a quick break here. And listeners, when we come back, we'll talk about some of the policies that were enacted hundreds of years, you know, almost 100 years ago that are still having, you know, wide reaching effects here in 2021. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we are continuing our conversation with Ms. Kyra Roby, who is the policy analyst for One Voice in Mississippi. And so uh, in the first segment, Kyra, we talked a lot about just the report and the overrepresentation of Black and brown people in the bottom portion of Mississippi's tax brackets, but also how, you know, although white people are the majority of the state, they're not represented in that, you know, that bottom 80 percent of of taxpayers. And so part of the reason for that is just the unequal system and and some laws that were passed, uh, you know, way back in, say, 1932 in the report. It actually points out that in 1932, Mississippi actually created the first retail tax. And so this was copied by a number of states afterwards, but the retail tax, aka the sales tax, is what we had, you know, what a lot of people probably know, um, really did a way of of kind of you know dividing people up and say this tax was really created to take money out of the pockets of black people who were gonna have to pay this when they purchased anything, you know, within the state. So if you could just kind of talk about how the creation of something like the sales tax and it's being copied and you know implemented by other states is kind of worsen the racial gap and in inequities that we're seeing today. And so the sales tax is really an interesting tax. And I say that again, knowing that tax policy in general is not that interesting. But as you mentioned, in 1932, Mississippi actually implemented the nation's first modern resales tax. And basically this tax helped reduce taxes for white property owners and helped increase taxes by black people who at that time had little to no property and had few items to be taxed. And so, again, I mentioned earlier that the primary purpose of the tax code is to help raise revenue. And that's exactly what this tax policy ended up doing. Um, it helped raise revenue. And it, it the residual effect of it was that it affected those lower incomes because sales taxes generally take a larger portion of a lower income's money. So I explained, so if I make $10 uh, a year and you make $100 a year, if we go to the grocery store and buy the same exact items, even though that sales tax is uniform across the board in Mississippi is 7%, at the end of the day, I'm going to have less money in my pocket than you do because I have a lower amount of money. And so that's what the effect of the sales tax was, but it proved to be effective in actually raising revenue. 
And so other states adopted the sales tax soon after Mississippi. And so what we see in regressive tax systems like Mississippi, now a lot of states raise the majority of their tax revenue from these sales taxes, which means lower income individuals are sharing the greatest burden and actually funding governments um, than wealthier individuals because states are relying so heavily on sales taxes to, um, to fund the government. And so in Mississippi, we collect approximately um, 30, almost 40% of our, our total tax revenue comes from sales tax. So again, we're, our government is depending on money from lower income individuals. And so what we see happening through tax policy is just greater reliance on sales taxes. And then you have taxes such as like the grocery tax. So Mississippi has one of the highest grocery tax rates in the nation, which means we, we tax our groceries at that 7% rate. We don't have any kind of reduction or tax credit based on groceries. And so again, if I'm only bringing in $10 a year and I'm going to the grocery store and buying the same amount of groceries or the same items as some of my wealthier counterparts, and I'm paying that full 7% of my money on necessities, things that I need, I'm going to have less money left over. But again, this is how states are funding the government. And so we're trying to explain how that burden of funding the government falls on lower and middle income individuals. And this um, sales tax issue becomes even more important when you look at policies that are trying to strip away the individual income tax, because what happens is that states that have eliminated the individual income tax have raised sales taxes in order to raise additional revenue or, or to make up for that lost revenue. And so what we're saying is that, well, if you eliminate the individual income tax, for instance, you're basically further shifting the state's tax burden onto lower and middle income individuals because you're causing them to pay more in necessities or things that they buy clothing or everyday essentials um, just to provide a tax break to the states, to wealthier individuals. And so this is kind of how you get from like a policy enacted in 1932 to help um, reduce the tax um, load for wealthy property owners who at that time were majority white men to present day in 2021 when we're arguing again, if we're taxing that bottom 80% the most and they're paying so much sales taxes, particularly a tax like a grocery tax, um, and Mississippi has again one of the highest grocery tax rates in the nation, we are placing the burden of funding the government for people who have the least. And when you look at the racial and gender components, because a disproportionate share of black and brown and women are in that bottom percent, um, they're the ones that feel the effect of, of sales taxes the most in present day America, present day Mississippi. Yeah, I can agree with that. And and as I as I kind of listen to all of this, you know, I, I think about, you know, Republican legislatures, uh, you know, Republican members in the legislature that are in Mississippi right now and how, you know, they may be like, they'll look at this report and they may look like, for instance, on page three, you know, when you look at the differences between like the lowest 20% and the top 1%, it's only like a 3.5% difference in the, the amount of taxation, you know, uh, paid or taxation rate there. Or they may look at, you know, the, the instance where if you look at the difference from the share of family income, uh, it's about 3%. So they may say, well, you know, Kyra, these differences that we have in our taxation uh, is very small. It's not like we're uh, penalizing, you know, the rich or, or anything like that. We, you know, we're doing the best we can. But, you know, to us, we, you know, what, you know, that three, that three to 3.5%, you know, what does that really look like in rural communities, even though that might sound like a small, you know, gap between the, the you know, the top 1%, the 20, and the, and the, and the larger, you know, 80%, what does that really look like in that, you know, that small gap? And so, the, yeah, the numbers, they get a little tricky, like the more detail we get into them. And I participated in um, tax study hearings for the state of Mississippi um, not too long ago. And I think the main idea, one, is to realize that incomes are unequal from the very beginning. And so when you break it down by race, and so what our report shows is that overall average income for Mississippians, according to um, the taxpayers that they looked at at this time, was on average $57,900 for white families. The average income is $72,100. For Hispanic families, is $43,100. For Black families, is $39,900.
and for other single races, it's $48,900. And so when you take, for instance, white and black families, a difference between having bringing in an income of $72,000 a year as opposed to $40,000 a year. And then will you take that on top of our tax code, which is taxing that $43,000 a year greater than the $72,000 a year. At the end of the day, we're saying that that $40,000 family is going to have less money um, at the end of the day. And so, yeah, when you, when you look at the different tax rates in terms of like 3%, 4%, we try to put it down into real world terms and, uh, you know, trying to see like what that actually means for a typical family in Mississippi. And we, we try to do that by explaining that those incomes are starting out so unequally. And then the tax rate, um, people, we're trying to explain that um, these lower income families are are paying a greater percentage of their income in taxes. So it's all about like what families have left at the end of the day, as opposed to those particular numbers. And what I was trying to explain to lawmakers during the hearings is that our, te- our state tax code, um, it doesn't it's not the sole contributor to um, th- these different inequities and disparities that we are talking about, but it does have a true and real impact on it. And so at the end of the day, different tax policies that are implemented at the least should not make those inequities worse. Um, and that's what we're seeing. And so I try to get people not as caught up in a lot of uh, the numbers because it is kind of hard to translate into actual dollar amounts. We're talking about what people have when they start off and what they have when they end up and how state tax policy is making that worse or better. That, that makes sense. I, I, I see how that makes sense. Because honestly, when you, when you do get into the numbers of it, it's trickier uh, unless you actually get into the bigger picture of it. Like you said, that that seventy that seventy thousand versus the forty thousand, and how the taxation affects that. That's when you really have to look at it because that's going to be you know people who say that you know minorities just have to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and do better. Well, how do they do better when they're not making that much and they're getting taxed at a higher level? So I'm really glad that you point that out. Um, what we're going to do, Kyra and listeners, we're going to take another quick little break here. And when we come back, we want to get really into some of the recommendations that One Voice put forward because there's a lot of great information that we endorse here. So we want to talk a little bit more about it. So listeners, stick with us. We'll be right back. <laughs> Listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. Listeners, let's get back into it. Our third segment. Remember, we're joined today by Kyra Roby. She's a policy analyst for One Voice. Um, like I said, listeners, we wanted to talk about some recommendations that One Voice has put forward here. Uh, in particular, some of the different reforms talk about uh, eliminating retirement income tax exemptions, uh, restoring uh, an income tax. Uh, a lot of these considerations, even having a more graduated personal income tax rate. Uh, a lot of people hear those and think that we're like penalizing folks or that we're, you know, they hear an estate tax and they think that we're trying to strip away, you know, wealth from their future generations. And honestly, a lot of the decision makers like our political leaders in Mississippi are probably benefiting from a lot of these laws and we're trying to say that need reform. So, Kyra, how do we go about, you know, introducing these sorts of reforms when you've got, you know, decision makers and wealthy individuals who benefit from the system as is? So a lot of the reforms, so again, these are policy recommendations that I presented um, to the state legislature. And, you know, there were there were concerns about what these policies were doing. But um, some of the reforms that we talked about, basically the idea is to tax wealth, to make sure that everyone has their fair share. And there are studies about how that's actually like a a popular idea. Like people kind of get the grab or get the concept that, everybody should pay their fair share of taxes. 
So if you look at, you know, when we're talking deep into tax policy and we're talking about how like people at different incomes and what they're being taxed. And then we see stories or read stories about like Amazon not paying taxes or these wealthier corporations or, you know, elected officials in some capacities, uh, former elected officials not paying um, their fair share in taxes. You know, I, I think people generally get that concept is that if we are trying to raise revenue to fund governments, then we need to tax people, one, tax their fair share. So tax people um, in a way that's equitable and a way that uh, takes money or at least be able to raise money from people who have the most or have it to raise. And so some of the policies that we recommended was that states could, like Mississippi, could implement it implement a more graduated personal income tax structure. Basically, that means to tax higher individuals. Um, our our, our um, tax structure right now, it kind of stops at a certain um, wealth group. And so we're like, extend that out so we can tax wealthier individuals as well. Um, eliminate the retirement income tax exemptions for the wealthy. Again, um, reduce the state's reliance on the sales tax, which is something that we talk about broaden the state's um, corporate income tax base and restoring the state tax on high levels of wealth. And again, the idea is to um, to tax wealth. Um, the Economic Policy Institute just released a report like this weekend. I was just scrolling through Facebook and it was saying that, you know, over the past 40 years, the top 0.1% of wages in the United States have increased by 345%. Whereas the bottom 90% of wages has increased 26%. So there's just in, this unequal um, growth in, in wealth. And on top of that, again, we have state policymakers who are, are, are providing tax cuts and tax breaks on that wealth. And so this is years of doing that. The state of Mississippi has done that. We had um, uh, the state's largest tax uh, break, I think in 2016, that was... Um, that was done, the Mississippi Taxpayer Act. And so this is like years of policies that have uh, cut taxes on the wealthy. And so we're saying to restore some of those at least and um, make sure that tax policy is equitable. Um, on top of that, we want to ensure, continue to push common sense policies that affect uh, working families in the state. Because again, we think that if tax policy and economic policy focuses on people, focusing on working families, and we can do more to boost um, the lives of those families, to boost our, our increased opportunities and strengthen communities and increase state economic growth. So some of the things that Mississippi also can do is like pass the state equal pay law. We're the only state in the nation that doesn't have that. Pass Medicaid expansion. Um, we're one of like 12, 14 states that hasn't done that in Southern states. Fully funded education. I think our education system has only been fund, fully funded twice since like 1977, uh, raise the minimum wage or in, implement a state minimum wage and provide refundable tax credits like an earned income tax credit or child tax credit in the state. And these are things that can help working families and help our economy as well. You know, what's interesting is that all those things are great things that need to happen in order to help those who are at the bottom or just improve their quality of life and, and help to get more money in their pockets by both changing the tax system, but also implementing, you know, minimum wage hikes. But the, you know, the problem that we tend to run into both on a state and local level, but also federal is just that, um, you know, it's, it's a political game where you have to get these things through Congress, through the state legislature. And in Mississippi, uh, there was a law, a rule passed in 1980 that, that implemented the requirement that a three fifths majority is required in both houses of, of legislature for any type of state tax increase. And so, you know, again, we, we think these changes are necessary, but there is a high bar we have to get over to achieve these things. And so I guess, you know, the question is just how, you know, at One Voice, how are you or, or other organizations trying to get over that hurdle of being able to wrangle together, a, a you know, a three-fifths majority vote in the state of Mississippi to try to get some of these big changes that we're trying to get done? So, yeah, that's the hard part, you know. Um, so we kind of take, a, I guess, four-pronged approach to it. So um, One Voice is known for kind of civic engagement work. So we have a civic engagement roundtable that works year-round to help increase uh, voter engagement. They do a lot of um, voter education, get-out-to-vote work, election protection work, 
um, voter registration. So a part of that is informing the public about these particular policies and how it affects them and also getting them engaged in the political process to start making change by um, educating them on uh, who they're electing. And so that's part of it. We um, take another approach by providing data and resource research and technical assistance to our nonprofit allies to make sure that we're not the only ones in the state doing this. Uh, media helps us a lot. So thank you guys for having me on today. And then our lawmakers. So that's who you're talking about. You know, the the um, education to lawmakers is also a pretty big deal, pretty important and something that's particularly tough. And it goes to both political parties. I mean, you can imagine some of the, the conversations and things that we have to have on both sides of the aisle about particularly about tax policy and how that affects people and income inequality. And so I think most people will be surprised about some of the, um, I guess, some of the more common ideals that we are trying to explain and get across through our elected officials. And so, you know, it's, it's one thing. Everybody can't be, I guess, an expert on everything. So it's our job to help make those elected officials and experts. So we're trying to do our best to do outreach um, across both parties. Again, we presented at the, the tax study hearings. We um, shared this particular report that we're talking about, the Who Pays report, and we're trying to do more outreach <laughs> to our elected officials because what we saw, especially during the last legislative session with the um, proposal to eliminate the state individual income tax, when we looked at those who voted for that proposal, you know, we were kind of... Um, a little bit in awe about how many votes um, that proposal got. And we heard a lot of that from our national partners as well. It's like, why is there so much Democratic support for this proposal? And we're trying to like explain that because there are a lot of political issues that kind of come into play as well. And so we don't have the best insight on that. We don't have like the best insight on kind of all the like political parts of it. But again, our job, our, our hope is to help lawmakers focus on the people and to um, try to convince them and the public again that if we focus on people and their policies are people focused and all these other things that we want or that you guys want can kind of come into fruition as well. So we don't have to like pick and choose what we want. Like we, we want to work on all of these things at the same time. And um, tax policy is a big part of it. So like you mentioned, it's a big hurdle to get that three-fifths requirement, um, but we're, we're working on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things I think about, just to kind of round off this segment, um, I lived in California and I saw like a lot of people, wealthy individuals and businesses leave in California uh, because of their regulations, but in particular their taxation laws. A lot of people were moving to Texas uh, because Texas didn't have state taxes and things like that. And in talking about this conversation, I think about Mississippi and how um, we need to attract and retain businesses. Um, is there is there is there any sort of concern or, or, or how do we go about pushing these sorts of reforms, uh, but make sure not to, I guess, scare the business community like you have in like California? Well, I think in Mississippi, yeah, we're dealing with kind of like the opposite of that. And so for instance, the last um, tax proposal that included the elimination of individual income tax during the um, 2021 legislative session, a lot of the business community was opposed to that particular proposal because it included so many um, increases to the state sales tax. And um, they were uh, pretty much opposed um, to that. So that's, um, we still see that. I think um, most business communities against that. What we're afraid of is um, the governor is actually in favor of just eliminating the individual income tax altogether without um, having any kind of backup plan to raise revenue through increased taxes or anything else. And so we're kind of afraid of like what that uh, opposite thing would be. So like, okay, we'll appease the business community, not increase the sales tax. We'll just eliminate a third of the state's income altogether and, and we'll figure it out later. Mississippi can kind of take care of itself. So we're dealing with that. And as far as the population conversation, that's been a very interesting conversation. It came up at the tax hearings a couple of weeks ago. I argue that tax policy has little to no effect 
on um, population growth. Uh, uh, there was a comment about millennials moving or people moving to Mississippi. I think they want older people, retirees to move. I was concerned about so many people in my generation moving out and not coming back. And my argument was that, you know, I've left Mississippi a few times. <laughs> I came back for family uh, to raise my son. Um, I, tax policy, I just don't think I have little to any impact on why people would choose to stay in Mississippi or move back in Mississippi. Again, I think one of the things that we're talking about when we're talking about policy proposals or tax policy in general is that out of all the things that's going on in Mississippi, a particular proposal to eliminate the individual income tax just should not be on our radar. Like there's so many other things. So if we want to talk about tax policies to help people, again, we want to talk about tax credits, putting money back in the hands of working families. But we also want to talk about things that'll actually help everyday working people and strengthen communities, like strengthening the education system, um, reforming the criminal justice system to help bring safe communities and help people feel safe. Uh, providing healthy communities through um, uh, increasing access to health care through Medicaid expansion. That those kind of things what people care about. Um, and then in Mississippi, this particular tax policy won't help. And there's, you know, there's concern because Mississippi is one of three states that actually lose population um, during this um, latest census results. So, and the idea of redistricting is really big on lawmakers' minds. And so that that whole conversation around population um, in regards to tax policy is very, it's been very interesting. When I think again in Mississippi, we don't see it. You know, in Texas, you got Houston, you got Dallas, you got Fort like you have all these other things as well as, you know, the low income taxes or the no income taxes. Same in Florida. We got Disney World, you got beaches, you got all these other things um, in addition to not having uh, individual income taxes or to have low taxes. And again, we're, again, our argument is that you might have low taxes in terms of individual income taxes, but overall tax rates in these areas are high and they're high on these lower and middle income families. So there are a couple of different arguments, but that population argument has been very interesting to me and how lawmakers kind of think about that, especially in the world of redistricting right now. You know, that's interesting you say that because I could, I could see that. It wasn't like I live in Texas now, but moving here, I did not consider, you know, that there was no state income tax. It wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm going to go there. That's wasn't on the list of things I chose. You know, I could be different for most people, but um, I, I think it's interesting, you know, the conversations that y'all are having because a lot of the things we are trying to get done a lot of people are in favor of, you know, most of the community supports these things. It just, the legislature is just kind of, you know, in the way. And I, it just amazes me that Mississippi would think about getting rid of the individual income tax. It's as if there's just this huge surplus in the budget that we can just get rid of it and not have to make it up somewhere else. And for our community in particular, that spells trouble, you know, somewhere, because you're going to have to cut something in order to do that. And as we know, in Mississippi, they're not really interested in funding the kind of programs that we're trying that we need in our community to improve them like education and 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 healthcare and all that. So it's just surprising and just not not surprising, but just kind of crazy that they're thinking about doing that uh, as if they're in a position to. So um, but we're going to take our, our last break and we're well, not our last break, one more break. And when we come back, we'll get a final message from you, Kyra, um, just to kind of, you know, wrap up the episode with the overarching message. And so. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. Listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our final message here. Remember, we're joined today by Kyra Roby, policy analyst for One Voice. Uh, Kyra, just to kind of wrap up our episode here, our final message is a great way to kind of send up our episode to our listeners. Um, here's a, a kind of a little story here. I had a, a former colleague who told me that it's not fair for their neighbors who were renters, and, and that colleague was a homeowner, wasn't fair for their neighbor's kids to be able to go to the same schools that their kids were going to because of taxes. You know, that, that colleague thought that they paid higher taxes, so it wasn't fair. So when we talk about this whole conversation around taxation, 
I feel like the issue of fairness always comes into play. Uh, even I imagine even personally, when we pay taxes, sometimes we see uh, taxes on our check. We think it's not fair. But like you said, taxes are the basis for governmental income and you know, they're, they're the basis for the greater good of a functioning society. So Kyra, for your final message, you know, how do we get more people, more wealthier individuals, corporations, even people like you and us to just kind of understand that taxes are for the greater good and we have to have them if we want, you know, functioning society? I think there are groups of us that have to come to that understanding. I think there are other groups of us that know that, you know, understand that, and are taking advantage of the system. So I think those are two different problems. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting with tax policy. Um, we talk about it in three different areas. One, in terms of raising revenue from the government, so economic activity. The other, in terms of community services, which I care a, little, a lot about. I think um, and then the third of which is the um, reduction of poverty and the equity argument. And so when you talk about how do we get everybody to care, I honestly think that services argument is so important. Like we all drive on roads and bridges. Um, we all care about um, the quality of streets and they, uh, and those kind of things. We care about education system. I mean, you know, how many people have kids in school and the quality of education system. And I hope Hopefully, people care about the quality of education in neighborhoods close to them, even though it's you know their uh, educational system may be good in their community. Hopefully, they care about the ones down the street as well. Care about um, the healthcare system, especially right now in COVID. How you hear about hospitals being overwhelmed and healthcare systems being overwhelmed. So, hopefully, when you talk about how do we get everybody to care about it. One of the first things I would say is just like, we all use these services. Like these are all services that we use. These are all services that we need. And so we all have our part in funding those services. And hopefully this equity argument kind of comes, you know, we, we see that when we're talking to people on different parts of the aisle and we're trying to get input into how to reach those different lawmakers that you were talking about, Devin, that this equity argument might not be something that people care about that even the services argument isn't maybe something that people care about because in Mississippi, for instance, like I said, the state hasn't funded health care. I mean, hasn't fully funded education in years. And so how do we make this argument related to the tax system about being able to fund education? Um, the state refuses to pass Medicaid expansion. So how do we get them to care about taxes as it relates to um, these services? But I hope that, you know, if there's anything that could pull everybody together, that it is that services part and that we need taxes to fund these services. But but again, for different groups, you know, depending on your race, age, gender, political affiliation, where you live, different parts of the argument affect people different. And it seems as though this economic argument is going to be the main driver here in Mississippi about it. Like, is this something that can actually provide a boost to the state economy? Um, you guys mentioned um, where is Mississippi getting all this money? Where some of our lawmakers are saying, you know, Mississippi is in a good position. We have this unexpected one billion dollars surplus and we were like this is coming from the federal government like this is money from dc <laughs> yeah like this mississippi didn't just all of, all of a sudden just do something great this past year that just provided this call for money and so you know that's another argument that has to be had but it seems as though that ec economic argument is what drives people and what we may have to focus on to get that three-fifths vote but um, in my work, I want to make sure that that community services argument is talked about, and especially the equity argument is talked about. And that's kind of what the Who Page report does, is focus on the equity argument. Because that's a tough argument to make here in Mississippi, uh, explaining why that's important. So, And talking about no, actual changes, you know, that might not be something that reaches those policymakers. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You, you know, we talked to a state uh, representative last year. I can't recall his name. Um, but he mentioned just how there's an attitude amongst those in the legislature who are in power to just not share resources, to not change the rules of the games where more people can come in and, and, and benefit. And in particular, he was talking about businesses and, and black businesses not being able to get state dollars for contracts and different things. They were essentially like locked out because it's a good old boy system that's in place. And that has infected other parts of the, you know, the, the budget and, and taxes. And like you say, some people from our community, you know, get up and start making some money and their, their, their ideas change as far as taxation and changing that because they don't want to have to pay the higher tax rates. But 
you know, I hope, you know, like you say, if we can keep hammering away that equity argument, showing people you drive on the same roads as we do, you know, just because you may not necessarily live in Jackson, you may live in the outskirts, you still have to drive roads to get there and tax dollars pay for that. So you can't just leave Jackson to itself. I think that's something too that that bugs me with how, you know, Mississippi's working is that the state capital is in such, you know, disarray. We've just kind of abandoned it. And this, you know, our state legislature is just kind of like, whatever, you guys are on your own. Um, that idea, that attitude has seeped into everything that we do in Mississippi, whether it's education, prison, whatever, it's just more so we're over here, they're over there, they're they can fend for themselves, and we're not going to give them any resources to try to fix it. It's just, you know, and it's 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 you know, it's kind of disappointing and it kind of kills your hope, but hopefully. Like you say, you keep at it and, and keep trying to educate the legislature, leg, legislators about, you know, a rising tide can lift all boats. And if you change the tax structure, it can benefit everyone and start growing the population, start, you know, attracting more businesses. Because if you don't do it, it's just going to be kind of more of the same. And so I appreciate you just bringing that, that perspective onto the show. And yeah, Kyra, thank you for uh, being with us today, giving a lot of great insight here. Uh, listeners, remember Kyra Roby, she was a policy analyst, or rather she is a policy analyst for One Voice. Uh, definitely go to their website so you can you know, learn a little bit more about this report. Uh, I would imagine that Mississippi isn't the only state where you would see statistics like these. Uh, so definitely be on the loop for, uh, for that. But yeah, Kyra, thank you for being with us. Um, listeners, we're going to take our last break. Uh, Dev and I will come back and give our ending. So stick with us. We'll be right back. have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So, as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. Uh, so, first up, we'll be back with you this Saturday, September 25th, to bring you weekly roundup number 15. Again, that's our chance to kind of bring you all the news from the past week breaking news, local news, state news, federal, you name it. We try to touch on it during our weekly roundup. Also, give you some funny news with our quick hits. So make sure you tune in for that again. That is going to be coming out this Saturday, September 25th, 2001. And then after that, on that following Tuesday, on, on uh, Tuesday, September 28th, that'll be our next regular scheduled uh, episode. And this time it's going to be entitled Shock in the Labor Market. And so this, this is going to be a good one. So make sure you tune in. It's going to be about how the pandemic has really given many workers kind of a new start and has even given a lot of workers the ability to quit their jobs. And so we're talking about a trend that is uh, being seen around the country, and it's called the Great Resignation, where we're seeing millions of workers resigning from their positions to move on to either new positions or they're just quitting altogether. And so we're going to discuss what's driving this new trend and kind of how the pandemic has reshifted the balance between employers and employees. And so our guest for that episode is going to be uh, Ms. Valerie Ralston Wilson. She is the director of the Economic Policy Institute's program on race, ethnicity, and the economy. And, and so that episode is going to be coming out next Tuesday, September 28th. And so make sure you tune in for that. It's going to be a great one. Valerie Wilson is going to be on the show. She is the director of the Economic Policy Institute's program on race, ethnicity, and the economy. And so again, we love it. We love it. We love it. It's going to be a great one. So make sure you tune in. But we do love it when you support our podcast by listening and downloading. But there are some other ways that you can get involved and help us out. And so Agent's going to let you know what you can do. Yeah, Devin, absolutely. Um, listeners, it's really, really important for you to give to us. We're really trying to do some big things with the Black Agenda. Uh, we would like to really grow this organization to something that's actually doing change in the community. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we can have some sort of lobbying group, maybe some sort of media group to help other people who are you know, doing justice. Maybe we could help promote them. 
Uh, it takes money, you know, to do good things here in America, unfortunately. You know, we got great ideas, but uh, great ideas have to be backed by great sums of money, uh, and you are able to provide those sums of money. The easiest thing to do is just go to our website, blackagendapod.com, click on the Donate tab, and you can start giving that way. Or if you're listening through the Podbean app, there's also a Donate button straight from the app that you can also donate, become a patron. Whenever you sign up to be a monthly patron, you actually will get a monthly gift. That monthly gift can be something like a thank you, could be maybe you suggesting a show idea to us, maybe you even appearing on the show. So make sure you go to our website, blackagendapod.com, and start giving. Aside from that, we always like to recognize a charity every month. And for the month of September, we've been talking about the organization called 100 Black Men of America. Their mission is to improve the quality of life within our communities and enhance educational and economic opportunities for all African-Americans. The 100 seeks to serve as a beacon of leadership by utilizing their diverse talents to create environments where their children are motivated to achieve and to empower our people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the economic and social fabric of the community that they serve. So really, really inspiring mission right there. But yeah, Devin, uh, plenty of reasons to give to us, plenty of reasons to go check them out. So a lot of listeners for you to digest there, but most important thing, go to our website and start giving. Uh, Before we go, we like to let you know that you can find us on social media. Our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. And again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. So just search that on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you will find us there. We got some great content, uh, promos about the shows, but just everything that you see, we just ask that you like and, and share that content with your friends, family, coworkers, and you know anyone that you're around. Make sure you let them know about the Black Agenda Podcast and why you love it so much. Uh, so we love it when you help us out with that. So again, that's at Black Agenda Pod, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then you can also, lastly, we always try to point this out, that you can find us on YouTube, actually. If you just search the, the Black Agenda Podcast, you can find us there. We have an entire catalog full of really, really great content, some really great conversations and interviews ranging from critical race theory, Black history. We even have 10 interviews, 10 whole interviews uh, with uh, administrators and presidents of HBCUs. And we're talking about the HBCU world. So make sure you go back and, and watch that and listen to that. With some really great stuff coming out uh, from those interviews. And so, again, me and Adrian appreciate it, you know, with you listening and downloading the podcast and sticking with us through this whole thing. What a great conversation we had with one voice about taxation. And so something that's not really sexy, but it's something we all should care about. So. Again, we appreciate you sticking with us and we'll catch you next time.